Hello and welcome to Coppola Connections. So as you're aware, over the last four years, we've got to know Nicolas Cage from his early star turn in Valley Girl up until the latest release, Willy's Wonderland. I've been to the dizzying highs, the staggering lows, and the quite frankly bizarre turns of his career. In that time, I've got to know Nick, who is a man. He's somebody who takes chances, not afraid to roll the dice when it comes to his film choices, bouncing around from genres, always keeping the audience guessing. Now it's time to zoom out and in part understand Nicholas Kim Coppola that little bit more. The way I intend to do that is by understanding his family. A family that boasts 12 Academy Awards with a further 17 nominations. And that's not even to mention the winners and nominees that hang on the periphery of this dynasty of cinema. And that's what they are. A dynasty. As Francis Ford Coppola once said, What brings me the greatest joy is the company of nice people and to be able to go through the rituals with them. To eat dinner with them, cook with them, talk with them. I'm very European in that respect. And there's no better company than family. And there's no better business than a family business. And there's no business like show business. Like a mobster movie, many of the Copplers decided to join the family business. But to understand it, all that so much more, it's best to start at the beginning. Carmine Coppola was born the 11th of June 1910 to Maria and Augustino Coppola, who years earlier had travelled from southern Italy to seek the American dream. Growing up in Harlem, Carmine had a dream of his own, to be a composer. Along his journey to become a maestro, Carmine met Italia Panino, who he would go on to have three children with, August Francis and Talia. Like many creatives, Carmine was reticent when his children took an interest in the arts. But like whenever your parents say no, they wanted it so much more. August, born February 16th, 1934, would go on to be an academic author, film executive and advocate for the arts. He would go on to have three wives, Joy Vogelsang, Maria Teravin and Martine Chevrolet. It was the dancer, Joy Vogelsang, August had three sons with, Mark, Christopher, and Nicholas. Mark would appear in many small roles in his family's films whilst holding down a career as a radio DJ. And with his wife, Elizabeth Seton Brindac, Mark had a daughter, Kaylee, who, as we speak, has her first credit on IMDb in a film that is in pre-production. And an adopted daughter who, you might as well guessed it, is also an actor. The second of Joy and August's sons is Christopher, born January 25th, 1962. To see a photo of Christopher Coppola, you'd think he'd stepped off the set of Easy Rider, bandana, sunglasses and a cat on his shoulder. If you don't believe me on that one, just Google Christopher Coppola and hit images and you'll see a picture of him with a cat on his shoulder. Both Mark and Christopher's demeanour would really help you to understand their kid brother a little bit more, but more on him shortly. He directed his first film, Dracula's Widow, in 1988, which was followed by 
what is quite frankly the now infamous Deadfall, which boasts appearances from both of his brothers. Nick starred as the crazed Eddie. Mark's also in there. And so is their auntie Talia, Sam, making it a real family affair. Chris has two sons. The youngest, Zach, as we speak now, has not entered the family business. However, the elder, Bailey, well, he's appeared in several of the family's films. Be it cousin Gia Coppola's Paolo Alto, Aunt Sophia's The Bling Ring, and has played the younger version of his uncle Nick in 2019's A Score to Settle. Google it and you'll definitely see why he was cast. This brings us on to August and Joy's youngest son, Nicholas Kim Coppola, or as you and me know him, Nicholas Cage. Born January 7th, 1964 in Long Beach, he would go on to study at Beverly Hills High School. You might ask, why am I talking about where Nicholas Cage went to school? But this is very important to our story, as it was here he was teased for his family ties. Bullies would quote lines from the Godfather at him, which would make you think he would want to go on to be anything else but in the entertainment industry. Maybe a lawyer, a doctor, anything. But like the generation before him, he longed to be in show business. Nicolas Cage once said, Nothing affects me. No rock song, no classical music. The way Dean affected me in East of Eden. It blew my mind. It was like, that's what I want to do. And that is exactly what he did. Despite dropping the Coppola family name, like many of Nick's family, he wasn't adverse to a slice of nepotism, as three of his earliest films were directed by his uncle Francis. Along the way, Nicolas Cage has had a share of girlfriends and wives. I only mention this not to dwell on it or not to be scandalous in any way, just so we can get an understanding of how this whole crazy family tree slots together. One of his girlfriends, Christina Fulton, with whom he would have his first son, Weston Coppola Cage, who would later follow in his father's footsteps and become an actor. Weston has also acted in multiple films with his dad, including 211, Tokarev, and his first screen appearance in Lord of War as Vladimir, a young helicopter mechanic, in which Cage delivers the line, Son, get off that plane before you get hurt. Together, Weston and Nick wrote the Virgin Comics title Voodoo Child alongside comic book legend Mike Carey. Cage would go on to marry Patricia Arquette in 1995. This is important because as a part of this podcast I will be looking at the films of those who have married into the Coppola family at a given point. Whilst married Nick and Patricia starred in Martin Scorsese's 1999 film Bringing Out the Dead. However, they would later get divorced in 2001. The next year, Nick would go on to fulfill his love of Elvis Presley by marrying his daughter, Lisa Marie, in 2002. The marriage lasted only two years, and that same year, 2004, Cage would marry Alice Kim, who he would stay married to until 2016 and have his second son Kalel Coppola Cage who even though his brief appearance voiced his namesake in 2018's Teen Titans Go to the Movies let's not mention the next marriage I'll let you research that one yourself as 
it's a bit ropey. This brings us to the end of August's side of the family tree. So let's back up a bit and look at Carmine and Italia's youngest, their daughter, Talia. Talia Coppola was born April 25th, 1946. As Italia and Carmine's youngest and only daughter, she quickly became their favourite. Six years after her brother had directed his first film, Talia had made her way onto the silver screen, or drive-ins at least, in a Roger Corman picture, The Wild Races. Before getting her big break in a little film called The Godfather in 1972, Talia married film composer David Shire, who himself would go on to provide music for the family business and in 1980 won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. Their only son, Matthew, was born September 18, 1975. It might be getting a little bit old even at this early juncture in this podcast, but he also joined the family business. First as an actor, then a production assistant, before landing a job in writing and producing for TV. Talia then went on to win the hearts of the world with her portrayal of Adrian Panino in 1976's Rocky, two years after she had been nominated for Best Supporting Actress in a little-known sequel called The Godfather Part Two. In 1980, Talia and David were divorced, and that same year, Talia married entertainment attorney Jack Schwartzman, a man who had worked with the likes of Hal Ashby, But once he was in the family business, he became a film producer and started up his own film company, entitled Talia Films. Before his marriage to Talia, Jack had had two children, John and Stephanie, the latter working in the art department on Edward Scissorhands, Edward and the Birdcage, whilst her older brother Jonathan was a cinematographer working with Michael Bay on The Rock, Hey Nick, Armageddon and Pearl Harbor. And in 2004, he would be nominated for Best Cinematography for his work on Seabiscuit before working once again with Nick on National Treasure Book of Secrets in 2006. On June 26, 1980, Talia and Jack had the first of their two sons, a polymath. He has many strings to his bow. Acting, screenwriting, producing, singing, music. He played drums for the band Phantom Planet. Remember them? They did that song California that was used for the opening titles for the OC. As well as being a frequent collaborator with everybody's favourite twee indie director, Wes Anderson. Along with another family member. But we'll get on to that. Starting on the big screen at the tender age of 17 with aforementioned director Wes Anderson in his 1998 film Rushmore, in front of the camera and behind it, he has worked many times with his family, be it his cousins, Roman and Sophia, or even his own mum. Jason seems to be the only coppola to come close to rivaling cousin Nick's work ethic when it comes to output. Between his big screen and small screen efforts, he may have the largest screen time in total of the Coppola family. In 2016, alongside his mother Talia, Jason starred in Dreamland, a comedy drama about a musician who embarks on a relationship that upends his life. You may be asking yourself, Petros, why are you focusing on this film? Why Dreamland? 
Well, Dreamland was written and directed by Jason's younger brother, the youngest of Talia's children, Robert. Robert Schwartzman was born December 24th, 1982. He got his first taste of film the same year as his brother in 1998, having acted in his cousin Sophia's debut short film, Lick the Star. Like his grandfather, Robert had aspirations to be a musician. Whilst in his junior year at Winwood School, he formed a band, Rooney. Whilst he had a love for music, despite all his attempts, he was pulled back into the family business. When in 2001, the year before Rooney signed their record contract, Robert starred alongside Anne Hathaway in The Princess Diaries. All the way up until 2016, he managed to balance his two passions of music and film. Then, as mentioned before, he turned his sights to directing. First Dreamland, then two years later The Unicorn, and then in 2019 The Argument. You would think that he'd maybe have some family to keep up with or, or something. <laughs> Again, we find ourselves at the end of another branch of this family tree. As we take another step back to look at Carmine and Natalia's middle child, the sensitive one as they called him, Francis Ford Coppola. Francis was born April 7th, today's date if you're listening day of release, 1939. Well, obviously not that part because uh, it's 2021, but it is April 7th. In the Henry Ford Hospital in Michigan, where his father Carmine was the official arranger for the Ford Sunday Special. I think all the mentions of Ford, we can understand where the middle name comes from. Not before long, the family had moved back to New York. Many of Francis's early childhood events and passions can be seen throughout his later films, be it being struck down with polio, referencing the conversation, and the idea of a child isolated from his peers due to a condition which was what drew him to the film Jack. When the family moved to upstate Long Island, he found himself fitting in with the roughneck kids and spent much of his time under his brother August Wing or at the Radio City Music Hall, all developing a photo book of memories Francis would mine for The Outsiders, Rumblefish, and the musicals Finian's Rainbow, One from the Heart, and The Cotton Club, respectively. The young Francis cut his teeth in film whilst at college studying a master's at UCLA Film School. His first film, a Russ Myers inspired skin flick for Peeper, coming in 50 minutes, was later pieced together with another mid length film to form Tonight for Sure in 1962. Francis would go on to work for Roger Corman, first editing, then writing additional dialogue, until he was given the chance to direct his own feature film, Dementia 13. Whilst in Ireland filming Dimension 13, Coppola met Eleanor Neal, and on that trip it was said that they fell in love. And in many ways, figuratively and literally, Eleanor has not left Francis' side ever since. Francis bounced between making small pictures for himself, you're a big boy now, and the rain people, whilst working for old Hollywood on films like Finian's Rainbow. In 1965, Coppola was hired to write a script based on General George S. Patton, 
The film would have been made for a few years, but once it was released in 1970, it ended up bagging Francis his first Academy Award for his screenplay. Francis around this time was desperately trying to make it out on his own, out of the studio system, a place for creatives, dreamers, the roughnecks Hollywood didn't want, Zoe Trope Studios. I'll be sure to revisit American Zoe Trope on a later episode, but for now, let's focus on the family. It was at this time Robert Evans had called, asking Francis to write and direct The Godfather, partly due to his previous success, but more down to the fact that he needed a scapegoat in case the Italian community took offence to the film. Just when Francis thought he was out of the studio system, Paramount pulled him back in. The rest, as you would say, is history. Francis' career is a rocky up and down of success and failure, with a staggering run of films in the 1970s. Godfather, 1972, both The Conversation and The Godfather Part 2 in 1974, and Apocalypse Now in 1979. And then very much through the 1980s and beyond is very much a roll of the dice. But all of these films will be covered at some point on the podcast. Ellen and Neil, born May 4th, 1936 in Los Angeles, California. Throughout her life, she has been involved in the family business. Many of the behind-the-scenes documentaries for many of Frances' films were of those of her children were filmed by her. She manages to capture the warts and all of the filmmaking process, be it Sophia's Marie Antoinette or the now infamous filming of Apocalypse Now, which has been since immortalised in the documentary Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. Eleanor decided to trade in filming the nitty-gritty of other people's films and take up the camera for herself in her directorial debut in 2016's Paris Can Wait, a film that was slated to have Nick Cage as one of its stars, but then was replaced by Ivan Ayatao. Roll on 2020, and Eleanor's second feature was due to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival before the festival was postponed due to a little thing called COVID-19. I'm sure you've heard of it. Love is love is love. Later premiered at the DeVille American Film Festival and is due for a wide release this year. Eleanor and Francis, like the generation before, had three children. The eldest, Gina Carlo Coppola, born 17th of September 1963. Along with his mother and siblings, Gio, as he's known to family and friends, would be moved around from film set to film set as his dad made a new picture. Gio can be seen in many of Francis's films, if it's Boy in the Church in the conversation, or as Tom Hagen's son alongside brother Roman in The Godfather. The years on sets as a child rubbed off on Gio, being taken under the wing of his father, groomed possibly to take over the family business in years to come. He started his career at the age of 16. He is credited as associate producer on both The Outsiders and Rumblefish, shot second unit for The Cotton Club, and was geared up to intern for Steven Spielberg during the making of Amazing Stories. Unfortunately, Gio 
couldn't fulfill his true potential and take up the mantle of the head of the Coppola family as he tragically lost his life in a speedboat accident on May 26th, 1986. I won't go into the details of this event. They're on the internet if you wish to read them, but they are horribly tragic all the same. I'm not sure what your beliefs are, but there's a sad poetic beauty and balance at times in life. And at the time of Gio's passing, his then fiance Jackie De La Fontaine, was two months pregnant with their daughter, who would be named Gina Carla Coppola, born January 1st, 1987. Gia, as she's better known, would follow in the steps of her father and go into filmmaking, directing 2013's Paolo Alto, 2021's Mainstream. The second of Eleanor and Francis' children is Roman Coppola. Born in France on April 22nd, 1965, thrust into the family business at an early age. Where Francis went, so did the family. Growing up on film sets, whether it's an early role as baby boy in carriage in his dad's 1966 film, you're a big boy now. The child version of Sonny Corleone and The Godfather Part 2 or Francis Delamarque in Apocalypse Now Redux. No other version, just the Redux. Along with his brother, he was an associate producer on Rumblefish. He would eventually fall into second unit directing for a lot of the family's film projects, be that Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Virgin Suicides or Marie Antoinette to name a few. Another director who's very much a friend of the family, Wes Anderson. Remember him from earlier? Roman struck up a friendship and worked on many of Wes's films. During the 90s, Roman started directing music videos for the likes of Daft Punk, Green Day, the Presidents of the United States of America, Fat Boy Slim. He also operated the camera for Spike Jones' now classic Praise You video. But we'll get on to him shortly. In 2001, Roman would take the leap to direct his first feature, CQ, which cousin Jason would also appear in. Roman would continue working alongside his cousin and frequently collaborating with Wes Anderson. They'd be nominated for the 2013 Academy Award for their script for Moonrise Kingdom. Unfortunately, they lost out to Quentin Tarantino. In 2012, he had released his second feature, A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charlie Swan III. And in 2014, alongside his cousin Jason, director Paul Weitz and Alex Timbers, he created, wrote and directed on Mozart in the Jungle. Something in which I wish to cover at some capacity on this podcast at some point in the future. Roman has many connections to his family members, all of which will be dissected throughout this journey. Roman very much keeps his father's dream alive by heading up American Zoetrope and still shoots second unit for his younger sister's films. Sophia Coppola, born May 14th, 1971. Like both her brothers, Sophia had a far from conventional upbringing. Whilst plebs like me and you learnt maths, English and science, 
Sophia learned the film business. Always being on set, she had a passion for makeup and the costume department. Again, like her siblings, she had minor roles in her father's films throughout the 80s and would be thrust into centre stage at the last minute when she had to replace Winona Ryder for the role of Mary Corleone in The Godfather Part 3, a subject which will be covered in depth at a later stage. Whereas Carmine had tried to shield his children from the failures and turmoil of pursuing arts, Francis, for better or worse, was happy to allow his children to bathe in the limelight of Hollywood. Due to the critical backlash to the film and her performance, Sophia very much backed away from acting. It was at this point it seemed like she wanted nothing to do with the family business. Like her brother Roman, Sophia was happy directing music videos. But it was at this point that she heard that her favourite book, Jeffrey Udenidi's The Virgin Suicides, had been optioned to be turned into a film. Sophia knew that she had the same fire in her belly that her father had. She wrote her own script. But unlike her father, she approached Paramount to let her into the film business to make her script. The same year, the release of The Virgin Suicides, 1999, Sophia married Spike Jones, who it can be argued his fate changed very much once he entered the Coppola family. Whilst a member of the family, Spike made Being John Malkovich an adaptation and acted in Three Kings. The two would divorce in 2003. The same year, Sophia released her second film, Lost in Translation which won her the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. The first of Sophia's films that will be covered on the podcast is the one that sits perfectly in the middle of her filmography as it stands, 2010's Somewhere. This brings us to an end, to another branch of the Coppola family tree. But this time, there's no more backing up. Hopefully this gives not just you, but me, an understanding of who the Coppolas are the who, the what, and the why of them. I hope that you will join me and my excellent guests as we shake down the Coppola family tree to the heart of darkness and try not to get lost in translation along the way as we make some Coppola connections you can have your say by emailing your thoughts on the films that will be covered on the podcast by emailing a short voice note to cagedinpod at gmail.com you can find a list of the films that will be covered on Letterboxd which is cagedinpod and I'll be mentioning them on all the social media so that's Twitter, Instagram and Facebook again all on Caged In Pod. Be sure to listen to episode one of Couple Connections right now, where myself and Rich Nelson of Betamax Video Club will be talking about Francis Ford Coppola's 1974 film, The Conversation. So as always, guys, I've been Petros Pat Silvers. I've been making some Coppola Connections. You've been amazing. Bye-bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drooptown Limery, Maine, 
franchise, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.